thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith, and today we have got a really, really fabulous podcast for you. Last week, if you haven't listened to it, last week's podcast was all about Cindy's adventure when she went to hear Dr. Joe Dispenza in Las Vegas. I revealed some pretty close truths and we spoke a lot about what she discovered from her meditations and all of the beautiful um, learnings that Dr. Joe Dispenza shares about the mind, the body and the spirit. Now, I recorded a show with Dr. Joe Dispenza back in 2015 on my Karen's Couch podcast, which is also hosted here, right here on the Wellness Couch And um, I thought, or we all thought, that we would share that recording of that interview with Dr. Joe Dispenza with you guys this week. So you don't have me, Kim, and Cindy, but what you do have is you have my Karen's Couch podcast. So be prepared for a bit of a Karen's Couch opening and a Karen's Couch closing. But the best part is the piece in the middle where I have a deep dive down the rabbit hole conversation with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Enjoy. Well, hello there, loyal listeners and absolutely miraculously marvelous creatures that you are out there. You guys are going to absolutely wet your pants with excitement. Yes, I said it. It's out there. You guys are going to be so excited when you hear who I have on the show today. Now, let me, let me give you a hint. If you've watched What the Bleep Do We Know, you might be in the right direction. If you have heard of somebody who talks about new ways of forming neurological connections inside of the brain and creating an extraordinary life. As a result of that, you're right in the right direction. If you've read a book called Evolve Your Brain, The Science of Changing Your Mind, if you've read a book by Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One, OMG, that one's brilliant, or if you've read You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter, Shut the front door. Please, everybody, help me welcome to Karen's Couch today the amazing Dr. Joe Dispenza. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Joe. What an absolute honor. I feel starstruck. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be with you, Karen. Oh, gosh. You know, I feel like having you on the couch today, I feel like it's, you know, we could have a coffee and I could probably (laughs) chew your ear off for an hour and a half with all my questions and with everything I know that everybody wants to know. So we're going to get stuck into it and go straight down the rabbit hole. Everybody, strap yourselves in because we are in for the ride of our lives with the most extraordinary conversation about consciousness, humanity, and how we can start to manifest a more extraordinary life for ourselves. Because You know, there's one thing that I know um, about us is that there is this force that courses through our veins, that beats our heart and breathes us, bakes a baby, blooms a rose and brings out the sun. And all too often, we forget who we are. And for some of us, we don't even know who we are. So Dr. Joe, start us off with, what do you know about us? 
that if we knew, we would live a much better life. Wow, you're right. We do need a bottle of wine in a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about it on two levels, Karen. The first level is really just the basic level, which says that your personality creates your personal reality. And your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So the present personality who's listening to this call has created the present personal reality called their life, which means then if we want to create a new life, a new personal reality, we have to change our personality, which means we have to start thinking about what we've been thinking about and changing, begin to become conscious of our unconscious habits and behaviors and modify them. And look at the emotions that we've memorized that keep us anchored to the past and decide if those emotions belong in our future. I think that most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality and it doesn't work. We literally have to become somebody else. So if we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts in one day and 90% of those thoughts, this is science now, 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before then the same thoughts will always lead to the same choices. The same choices will always lead to the same behaviors. The same behaviors will create the same experiences, and the same experiences will produce the same emotions. And those same emotions will drive our very same thoughts and our biology, our neurocircuitry, our neurotransmitters, our neurohormones. Uh, even our genetic expression will be equal to how we think, how we act, and how we feel. So then... What you're doing then as a facilitator of knowledge is saying to people, well, new thoughts, new information, every time you learn something new, there's a physical change in your brain. You're making new circuits. New thoughts should lead to new choices and new choices should lead to new behaviors. New behaviors should create new experiences and new experiences should fundamentally create new emotions. And those new emotions should then begin to inspire new thoughts and we begin to evolve. So... I think that um, this is a time in history where people are so excited about the content that we're going to the next level. And this is what I've seen around the world. It's, it's, this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. This is a time in history to know how. So that's the first point. The second point is this. You mentioned that that intelligence that gives us life is the same intelligence that you know causes flowers to bloom and and bakes a baby and causes a sunset to, uh, to happen or sunrise to happen. That intelligence is both personal and universal. It's within us and all around us. And in quantum physics, we call that a f the field, that invisible field of consciousness that gives life to all things that nobody is excluded from. So then if that intelligence exists within you and it's keeping your heart beating and digesting your food and organizing these trillions of functions per second, and it's all around you, which is the essence of nature and the essence of, of what keeps everything physical in order, then can we develop a relationship with it? Can we begin to really change our state of being? So then we have a fundamental uh, free-willed subjective human consciousness, and then we have an objective consciousness which gives life to all things. And when we begin to turn inward and we begin to change our internal states and our vibrational states and how we think, how we act, and how we feel, and we begin to create and using this consciousness to create from, when our consciousness begins to merge with its consciousness, 
then we can surrender to the universe and get out of the way and allow it to organize it in a way that's right for us. So I think people in history, people right now are so excited because it's, they're more concerned about the how-to. They want to know how to do it more than just talk about the philosophy, and it's a great time to be alive. You know, it's interesting the point that you raise. I ran a, um, a workshop on the weekend, and we had, I don't know, 40 or 50 people in there, and I, we, were, we were talking about, you know, that, that power that beats our heart and breathes us. And one of the questions that came up, which I thought was quite um, useful for today's conversation, was, you know, how do we actually create those new thoughts? If it's if if we've got a, if if who we are and our personality is what we think and how we act, how we feel, and then how we act, how do we start to get new thoughts when ninety percent of the thoughts we have today are what we had yesterday? Because our thought, our, our way of thinking and our way of being is so well habituated. What, would, what, what are your suggestions to, to people to start to unlock a new experience for themselves? Well, the f- knowledge is the precursor to experience. The more knowledge you have, the more prepared you for, are for an event. So every time you begin to learn something new, that new information then acts as the raw materials uh, for us to begin to think in new and unusual ways. So we begin to add a new stitch into the three-dimensional tapestry of our gray matter. And if we're to contemplate on that information, to really examine it, to really review on it, and really, really give it some of our attention, we can begin to make the brain fire in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations. And whenever you make your brain work differently, you're changing your mind. Mind is the brain in action. Mind is the brain at work. So I think that in, a, in an age of information, ignorance is a choice. Mm. And so many people are so excited about information. And it's not the same world that we had 10 years ago because people are now so engaged in information that they can research anything and become an expert in it. And so I love the fact that information is available. But what makes it so important is that what are you going to do with that philosophy? So when you take that philosophical, theoretical, scientific quantum, neuroplastic, epigenetic, you know, spiritual model. (laughs) Yes. And you begin to say, okay, how am I going to initiate this philosophy? How am I going to apply it? How am I going to personalize it? How am I going to demonstrate it? How am I going to modify my behaviors in some way and do something differently? Well, if you can get your behaviors to match your intentions and your actions equal to your thoughts, if you can get your mind and body working together, you're going to run into a new experience. Now, the cool part about a new experience is that when you're in the midst of a new experience, all of your five senses plug you into the external environment. And as you begin to experience a novel event, all that information rushes back to your brain through those five different sensory pathways, and jungles of neurons begin to organize themselves into networks and patterns to reinforce that philosophical information. Now, here's the cool part. The moment those neurons string into place, The brain makes a chemical, and that chemical is called a feeling or an emotion. Now we are teaching our body chemically to understand what our mind is intellectually understood. So we can say knowledge is for the mind and experience is for the body. And in that moment, we are embodying knowledge. So you feel like a leader. You feel like a patient parent. You feel like an entrepreneur. You feel more compassion. You feel more love because once you feel the emotion, it's dropped from the brain into the body. And you're literally signaling new genes in new ways because it's new information. But it's not enough to do it once. 
we have to be able to repeat the experience at will. We have to be able to do it over and over again till we neurochemically condition the brain and body to know how to do it as well as the conscious mind. And when the mind and body merge together, or the body knows as well as the mind, now we're beginning to master that philosophy. It's becoming a state of being. So we go from philosopher to initiate to master, from mind to body to soul, from knowledge to experience to wisdom, from thinking to doing to being. And we have all the biological machinery to do that. So the law of attraction, when, when, when I think about that in the context of what you're talking about, is it the same sort of thing or have you taken us a step further? Well, um, this is a very interesting conversation because I think so many people, you know, when, when I, tra- I travel around the world quite a bit and in the, one of the common questions five years ago was how come the law of attraction isn't working for me? Yes. <laughs> and the law of attraction is always working for you. It's just that you either have to become conscious of your unconscious self and what vibrational signature you're creating in the world and how you're able to sustain that state of being. And if thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body and how you think and how you feel creates a state of being and thoughts are electric and feelings are magnetic and you broadcast an electromagnetic signature that influences every single atom in your life, then it begs the question, should you wait for your wealth to feel abundance Should you wait for your healing to feel wholeness? Should you wait for your um, uh, success to feel empowerment? Should you wait for your new relationship to feel love? Should you wait for the mystical moment to feel awe? Well, if you're a materialist, you know, you're waiting for something outside of you to change something inside of you. And when you feel differently inside of you, you pay attention to whatever, whatever caused that. That's cause and effect. The quantum model of reality is about causing an effect, which means then you have to combine a clear intention, that's a mindful process, with an elevated emotion. In other words, you have to teach your body emotionally what that future is going to feel like ahead of the actual event. So you move from living in your past, neurologically and chemically, to living in your future, and you're broadcasting a whole new signature. So I like to use science uh, as the model to demystify the mystical so that people will have within their reach all the understandings to to begin to apply it to their life. And I think a lot of people that try the law of attraction, they don't know that they're consciously doing this, but they're waiting for the relief of their experience to occur so then they can feel better. Mm. They can feel gratitude. But the immaterial mind, the quantum mind, is giving thanks before the experience occurs. And the emotional signature of gratitude means the event has already happened. And so when you emotionally embrace gratitude, you'll accept, believe, and surrender to the thoughts equal to that emotional state. And you'll begin to program your autonomic nervous system to make the proper pharmacy of chemicals that begins to prepare your body for the future event. So there's a question around presence and, a, you know, like if, if we're not living in a past experience neurologically and what we're living into is a future expectation or a future imagined um, a, 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 so that we can start to create that chemical pharmacy today, a lot of people have a lot of 
unconscious um, let's let's use money for example a lot of people have a lot of unconscious beliefs about I'm not good enough I'm not worthy um, I've never had money before I'll never have money you know we never had it when I was growing up lack is the the, the very foundation that they they live from and it's because they've been doing it for so long you know neurologically it's so well embedded they don't have to think about that anymore it's well and truly unconscious so they don't know what they don't know about why they're not getting what mm. they want. What would you suggest for people in terms of being able to bring those unconscious thoughts into the conscious mind so that they can be dissolved so that then they can create an empowered future or an imagined future that they, they want for themselves? Oh, this is a great conversation. Well, I'll answer <laughs> again on two levels, Karen because it means that you're engaged in this process yourself. Um, 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old is a set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, and attitudes that function like a subconscious computer program. In other words, we've done something so many times that the body now knows how to do it better than the conscious mind. You know, like you can't remember a phone number. You look down at the keypad and your fingers dial the number. Well, that's the body... Uh, running the show. And so 95% of who we are, are programmed behaviors and attitudes and habits that emotional reactions. So then we've done it so many times that complaining becomes automatic, that feeling sorry for ourselves is natural to think that the universe is a harmful place. And so uh, people have these subconscious beliefs that are based on their past experiences. Now, the only way that uh, we actually evolve is that we have to have adversity in our life to challenge us against our current beliefs. And we can't meet that adversity from the same level of mind, because if you do, you'll keep producing the same result. So we have this amazing frontal lobe. It's 40% of our entire brain. It's the crowning achievement of the human being. And that's what allows us to begin to become conscious of our unconscious states. And so If we sit down quietly and we begin to ask ourselves some frontal lobe questions like, why isn't this happening for me? How come this isn't working? What is is going on behind the scenes of my awareness? And if you sat down and you got quiet, all of a sudden you would probably become conscious of some thought, feeling, or habit that you've been doing unconsciously that now you're conscious of. And so uh, our life is our initiation. And our life challenges us so that we can begin to modify those beliefs to do a better job in life. Now, most people wait for crisis or trauma or disease or diagnosis or loss really to finally make up their mind to change. You know, like you have to reach your lowest denominator before you do something about it. Mm. And for me, my message is why wait? You know, you can learn and change in a state of pain and suffering or you can learn and change in a state of joy and inspiration. Now, think about this. When you're at your lowest level, you don't feel like yourself. And the moment you don't feel like yourself, you could actually look at yourself through the eyes of someone else because you're not being yourself. That's that's called metacognition. You can see who you've been. Well, you can also become inspired by a vision of the future, enthusiastic about possibility, and come out of your resting state into an elevated state. And when you do that, you can look at yourself also as the old self but from an elevated state instead of a, a depressed or suppressed state. So the technology and the science supports it. And, um, well, in the workshops and conferences that we do around the world, 
we teach people how to be defined by a vision of the future instead of a memory of the past. And when they come out of their resting state every day and they change their state of being, they'll be way more conscious of their unconscious self and, and less likely to return back to that old personality. You know, it's interesting listening to what you're talking about here. I, um, I'm not sure if you're aware. It's just um, something that's just come to me in my, in my thought processes. I went through um, my partner took his life and then subsequently I was in the 2002 Bali bombing. Um, my friends were killed and my skull was crushed and it was, it was an amazing time now that we're so far down the track, you know, 12 years later or 13 years later, I can look back at that and I can see the blessing in it. But at the time, I was absolutely devastated. I was absolutely depressed and I was suicidal myself. And it, I often talk about how, you know, I believe that we have our experiences on behalf of mankind and how my wish for mankind is that they look at me and think, well, she took one for the team so that they don't have to get blown up in order to get the wake-up call. And, you know, it took such a long time for me to realise, well, it didn't actually take a long time in the context of things. I guess it was six years for me to really come out the other side of all of that, whereas it could have been, you know, 60. But I think that that the the magic in that is that during that time of being so depressed and so down and so... Um, not myself, as, as, as you say, there was a real misalignment, which I didn't recognize. And of course, I didn't have the knowledge or the tools or you um, to follow in that context of saying, well, I'm feeling so out of alignment. I'm like, I'm feeling so depressed and so bad about my life, because I am, in fact, out of alignment with the true nature of my being, and the true nature of my ability to create. And from that quantum perspective, uh, what I was thinking and what I was feeling and how I was acting was really um, not having a clear intention in terms of what I wanted for my life. And my emotions were matching where I'd been, not where I wanted to go. And that felt like hell. Sure. Well, think about it. I mean, you had an event in your life that branded you emotionally. Yeah. And if you don't know how to overcome that emotion and you allow the refractory period of chemicals from that event to linger for hours or days, it turns into a mood, one long emotional reaction. Mm. And if you keep that emotional reaction going on for weeks or months, it turns into a temperament. And if someone says to you, Karen, why are you this way? And you would say, well, I'm this kind of this temperament, depressed temperament because of this event that happened to me nine months ago. Yeah. And if you keep that emotional reaction going on for years, it's called a personality trait. So if emotions are the end product of past experiences and nothing wrong with feeling sad and depressed from the event, but it's difficult to see a future when you're looking at your life through the lens of the past. So people wear their emotions on their sleeve, you know, and that's who they, they really believe that's who they are. But when they begin to understand that emotions are just chemical residues from past experiences and you help people overcome the emotions that keep them anchored to the past when you overcome that emotion and the memory without the emotional charge then is called wisdom and that's the name of the game so then now you're ready to create a new future but you can't create a new future holding on to the emotions of the past in other words if you can't think greater than how you feel or feelings have become the means of thinking then for the most part you're literally in your past and your body is the unconscious mind 
is believing it's in the same past experience 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Your body believes it's in the same event because you're living by the same emotion. And, the, and that, that redundancy literally is enslaving the body and it begins to signal the wrong genes in the wrong ways. And so breaking free from that emotional state is really breaking free from your past and no longer being identified with that past event. And when you truly overcome it and you truly break free from it, now you have wisdom. And, and I think that's really what well, all of us are after. So in terms of being able to move us forward and to be able to, um, you know, when, when, you look around the, when you look around the planet and you, we watch the news, we see people exiting the planet left, right and centre. We see, uh, you know, terrorism is rife, people being brutalised and, and, and murdered and it's, the, the, the challenge, I think, for humanity is to be able to collectively have that clear intention and collectively create that new emotion. And I, and I get that it has to start one by one. What would you, what do you suggest for us as, as, a, as a race in terms of our ability to, to expand rather than implode as it appears that we're doing now? Mm. Well, I believe that where you place your attention is where you place your energy. And um, I think a lot of people uh, place their attention on things that really bring them uh, out of balance. And uh, I have no problem with a lot of the things that are happening in the world. But if if we begin to use those scenarios to reaffirm our addiction to some emotion then we'll always look for the bad news. We'll always look for the terrorism. We'll always look for uh, the war. We'll always look for the, the lack and the poverty and the and social injustice. And the emotions of stress that are created, the hormones of stress that are created from those events cause us to feel separate from possibility mm-hmm. and to become very selfish. And then when you're in survival, it's all about the self. So we've created through media and through so many different means, uh, this kind of separation of, of community. And if you keep everybody in competition and manipulation and you keep everybody in selfishness, then for the most part, you'll have a, com- uh, a fractured community. And so I think really what people are after is a connection, cooperation. I think they're in- interested in compassion and kindness and caring and these are heartfelt emotions that go against those survival states. And so I, I'm a, I have an awareness of all of those things, but I don't trust any of those things in terms of really helping people to create community and heal the planet. So look through them and, to, and see them as uh, certain levels of orchestration, but really not the true message about who we really are as human beings, because... When we truly are in a creative state and we're truly overcoming ourselves and we break free from the chains of the past, the side effect of that is called joy. That's, that's transformation. Mm-hmm. And when your heart starts to open and you feel happy with yourself and satisfied and more whole, there's only one thing you want to do when you feel that way, and that is you want to give. You say, I feel so amazing. I want you to feel the way I feel. So here, take this. And so... There's a strong division going on on the planet right now, I feel. Of course, speaking from my present state of ignorance, 
But, but I really believe that in the, my observation of so many different cultures that there's such a division going on. So many people are no longer clinging to the past paradigms and they're seeing through the facades and the illusions of governments taking care of people and politicians and, and the economy and education and the religious model and the medical model and the pharmaceutical model and the environment. People are starting to become so informed that they realize that nobody's going to take care of them and that there's a lot of self-interest that drive all those things. So because of that, people are beginning to say, what is it that I don't like about the world? Oh, I don't really like violence. Well, so let me just take care of any violence that I have or any any uh, malice that I have within me or towards anybody. And if I can do that, I give people permission to do the same. So I think there's, an, there's a turning inward for people to really look at and examine their own states. And, and um, I just don't really get too distracted by, by any of that any longer because the emotions that are created from those things cause us really uh, to, to feel separate from possibility. It's interesting you said, um, Dr. Joe, when you were giving us that beautiful um, explanation there, you said that, you know, when we go in search of lack and when we're seeing all the negativity and we're seeing all of the destruction and all of those sorts of things, it causes us to reproduce emotions that we've become addicted to. And it's almost, um, you know, when, when we're having conversations with people who are at a certain point or at a certain level or experience in their lives, you can see very clearly their desire to hold on to those past emotions or those destructive emotions. It's, it feels almost like life and death in, in the thought of not having them um, and not having that distraction and not having that sadness or that fear or that lack or that blame. It's, it's an interesting um, observation to watch that occurring for somebody as they hold on to that for all that they're worth. well listen i mean we know this to be the biggest challenge in human beings because 70 percent of the time we're living by the hormones of stress and the emotions that are created from the hormones of stress are anger frustration aggression violence war hostility uh judgment uh, envy jealousy fear anxiety insecurity hopelessness powerlessness guilt shame they're all created by the hormones of stress And my definition of an addiction is something you can't stop. So if you were suffering or you were angry and someone said to you, hey, I know you're angry or suffering, why don't you stop? And you can't stop that, then on some level you must be addicted to that emotion. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with this. It's just that it's an insight for us to begin to realize that we do have control of our emotional states. So then when you're living in survival, you always fear the unknown because there's better chances of survival when you're living by those emotional states or in stressful states to run from the unknown. There's predators out there. There's danger out there. There's threats. So then we tend to cling to the known. So then we're asking people to lay down the very thing they use their whole life to get what they want for something greater to occur. In other words, People would rather hold on to their guilt. They'd rather hold on to their judgment than step into the unknown because they can't predict who they'll be when they're in the unknown. So this is really where people have to start opening their hearts and starting to trust. And, and so we know from the research that we've done, and we've done enough research on this, 
that you and I are at our absolute best when we get beyond ourselves. That's number one. And number two, when you break free from those emotional addictions, truly break free, there's a liberation of energy in the body. And that liberation of energy now is available energy for the person to design a new destiny. And just like with any addiction, when you finally stop to give up, giving up, you know, feeling angry or feeling sad or feeling guilty, your body has modified its receptor sites and it's craving those chemicals. And you have to go through a little bit of withdrawals because the body's looking for that chemical hit and it starts sending signals back to the brain. And you start hearing voices in your head saying, you know, you can't do this. It's too hard. What's wrong with me? And you're too much like your mother. You'll never change. This doesn't feel right. You, the, the brain gets assaulted because the body's trying to cause us to return back to that familiar state. So the beauty behind all of this is that if enough people begin to step into the unknown and they'll say, well, it's uncomfortable, it's unfamiliar, it's uncertain, it's unpredictable. Well, it certainly is, but it's the biological death of the old self. And if you say it's unpredictable, you can't predict your future. Well, the best way to predict your future is to create it, not in the known, but in the unknown. And when you and I become comfortable in that unknown, I think that's when we start to experience the miraculous. Gosh, it's just such an amazing conversation. Oh, my God. I did. Um, I was reading something the other day. I think it was out of A Course in Miracles, and it was all about the unknown and being willing not to know. And I believe it or not, I was in the shower and I got this blinding flash of insight for one of my um, retreats that I was running where I came up with these little um, daily study cards. And on the front of it, I put, um, to know we must teach, to teach we must, we must learn, to learn we must experience. Um, oh, no, no, no. To know, we, to know we must teach, to teach we must learn, to learn we must not know. And I thought that the, the trick or the, the magic is in the not knowing and where most people would go into a state of fear and trepidation about the unpredictability of the future, the magic is actually there because that's when we can create. And exactly. I, think, yeah, I think that's the juice, isn't it? I mean, that's bringing something into, into manifestation that wasn't there before. So every moment really is an opportunity to say, well, what do I want to play with today? Isn't it? I mean, it, 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 it doesn't get to look any better than that. Well, I mean, there's degrees of this now. Don't forget. I mean, you know, I mean, when a person's diagnosed with a, uh, you know, a, a very serious health condition, when they're leaving a relationship because it doesn't work, when they're stepping out from a job that they no longer want to be insulted and de demean, you know, demeaned upon, uh, these are bigger things where people all of a sudden say, I can't live this way any longer. I got to trust in the unknown. I don't care. All I know is I'm not going to live from this state. Now, the first thing that comes up is fear because what we do when we step into the unknown is we predict the worst thing that's going to happen to us. We, we conjure up the worst case scenario based on our past experience and we get ready for the worst thing that could happen because there's better chances of survival if you're prepared for the worst thing that occurs. So out of the infinite potentials that exist in the quantum field, we're selecting the worst case scenario and emotionally embracing it. And our, we're beginning to create that very destiny. So then finding the present moment, which is where we started in this conversation, is really quite the skill. 
And, and when you're truly in the present moment and where your attention is in the present moment, where you place your attention is where you place your energy, then you're no longer trying to predict the future based on the past or expect the worst case scenario based on some event that happened to you 10 or 20 years ago. When you get to that point where you're more alive and you're more aware because you're in the unknown and you're trusting in the unknown, uh, that's when you begin to see the miraculous happen. And you'll say what everybody else says. It wasn't me that did this. I didn't do anything. It was the power in me and all around me that did it for me. I, I'm just experiencing my own divinity. That's, when, uh, that's what I call the natural state of being. And I think we all have access to that. So what's a, what's a day like for you? I mean, with all of this magical information and knowing that you have, what, what's, what's life like for you? Well, uh, I'm, I'm a very mission-driven person. I mean, I'm up very early in the morning. I, I wake up in the morning and, uh, you know, from 5 to 7 or 4.30 to 7 in the morning is my time for my own personal uh, practices. It's the time where I get my mind and body correct. It's the time where I do my own meditations. It's the time I create futures and mystical experiences. And, uh, uh, and then the rest of the day I serve. I mean, I I travel uh, about 175,000 miles a year. I'm in a different country uh, at least three out of four weekends or in a different city at least. Uh, and um, I love to serve. I love witnessing transformation. Uh, I have a beautiful home uh, uh, at the end of a one-mile road, and it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, ranch with horses and orchards and, and uh, organic gardens and a river. And uh, it's kind of my sanctuary. And um, but I'm traveling the majority of the time, and uh, it's I wouldn't do it really, Karen, if if I wasn't seeing the amazing results that people are really starting to uh, to create for themselves. And so uh, I'm inspired by other people. And I'm inspired by what they're doing. And um, I guess my motto has always been: I o- I only go where I'm invited. So if people keep inviting me. I'll keep coming. And when they stop inviting me, I know it's time to probably do something else. So uh, I'm just privileged um, that uh, I have the opportunity to to contribute and I'm privileged to stand in front of an audience and, and inspire them to step out and into that unknown. How profound. Well, it sounds like your present moments are being created miraculously and it sounds like you have an extraordinary experience and hats off to you because it gives us all something to aspire towards and as an example that we can follow. So that it just sounds beautiful and I love the sound of your ranch. <laughs> <laughs> so look, we've we've come to the end of the podcast and, and I and I really want to I really want to make sure that everybody who's listening to the show knows where they can get more of Dr. Joe Dispenza. I am personally going to be going to um, the workshops that Dr. Joe Dispenser is putting on here in Australia. Now, if you guys are interested in it, there's the Progressive Workshop, which is in Melbourne, on the 19th through to the 21st of June. And then once you've completed that one, that's the prerequisite to doing the Advanced Workshop, which is on the Sunshine Coast in Yurumba, right near me where I live, from the 24th to the 28th of June. Now, I'm going to be at both of those, so it would be really cool if all of you guys would like to join me at that workshop. I think that would be really, really awesome, and we can all connect there as well. So 
Pop those dates into your diary. Personally, I've blocked out from the 19th all the way through to the 29th so that then I've got all those days in between and a day off afterwards just to sit in the creativity of what gets, um, you know, enlightened inside of me as a result of that experience. So join me. Make sure that you do. And if you want to um, get your seats, all you've got to do is go to drdispenza.com and you'll be able to find out more about those events there. So come along. tell you just one thing about that. Uh, Yes, please. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Karen, but us just, uh, I'm coming to Australia and then we do a progressive event in, event in Melbourne and it is a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. And we do a lot of things in that one weekend. We change beliefs and perceptions. We teach people how to find the present moment. We change our energy and tune into potentials in the quantum field. Uh, we pull the mind out of the body and we recondition the body to a new mind. Uh, we bless the energy centers of the body. We're in and out of meditation the entire weekend and, and, you know, my commitment is that people leave feeling very differently than when they arrive. Now, anybody who does this progressive workshop, we're staying another week to do an advanced workshop and we're bringing our scientists and our team of technicians and the advanced workshops are where the magic happens. Uh, it's a Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, long days, full days. And, and we measure people's brains. In other words, if you come you, you may have to wear, you may not have to, you may, you may choose to wear uh, a brain cap and, and we measure your brain and then you go through four days of training and then we measure your brain at the end of the event to see what type of changes occur. We'll measure your brain during meditation or you may be wearing a heart rate variability monitor. Why? Because when you feel gratitude and you feel appreciation, your heart is more organized than when you feel frustration and anger or impatience. Now, we measure the energy of the room. We measure the energy around people's bodies. We measure the energy centers of their bodies. We may measure genetic changes in urine. We measure all these things to show people really how profoundly powerful they are. So <clears throat> we're doing our first advanced event in Australia because we have a big community of Australians that want to have an advanced workshop there. And as I said, I only go where I'm invited and they're pretty passionate about me coming, and so it'll be a wonderful event. And um, our advanced events are really where the magic happens. There's miracles that happen in four days all the time. Oh, how awesome. Well, I'm glad that you interrupted me because that was a lot more detail about what people were going to get and what they could experience at your event. So that's awesome. That's brilliant. Now I'm even more excited to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to scan your brain. Don't worry. <laughs> I will offer my brain with absolute ease. No problem there at all. <laughs> Dr. Joe, this has been an extraordinary conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. It would be absolutely wonderful to welcome you back to the couch later in the year. So if you're open to that, we'd love to have you. Oh, sure. I'd love to come back. As I said, if you invite me on. Sounds good to me. Awesome. Woohoo! I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast that's come to you from the Karen's Couch interviews. We have absolutely loved listening in to this interview again with Dr. Joe Dispenza. He is such an incredible man and he's unassuming, gentle, yet completely authoritative um, perspective on what it takes to really unleash the human potential is so inspiring. So hopefully you guys have absolutely loved today's podcast. Go to our Facebook page at all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. You can also post your comments and your questions at all the w's.com 
thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And we're going to see you here same time, same station next week on Up for a Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we're going to see you on the ride. Bye, everyone. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.